Welcome to the Double Scoop Podcast. I'm Chris Wagner, your host. My guest today is Elaine Parks. She is an artist. She's also both a supporter and a board member of Double Scoop and a really longtime friend of mine. So I've known Elaine forever. You're about to meet her right now. Welcome to the studio. Thanks, Chris. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. When did you first know you wanted to be an artist? Well, I think I knew that as a child. As you know, our friend Susie Stroll asked this question. And I remember as a kid making little villages in the dirt in the backyard and populating them with tomato worms and then having a big flood. And I felt like that was that was an art act. Did you notice as a kid that you liked the idea of creating your own world or, or having this like realm where you were making the rules? And Yes, I think so. I think that's exactly what that why I think that's art. How did you actually first get your hands on art materials? I don't even know if I know this. There was always, you know, the paper and crayons and colored pencils, things like that were always around. And as far as a sculptural material, dirt, I think, was just my friend. And as far as real art materials, that was probably in high school. Uh, there was a pretty good art department. And yeah, I was exposed to real art materials in high school. Yeah, and you went to high school in Los Angeles. I did. And college in North Northridge, right? Northridge, and uh, college again in Los Angeles. Okay, so you're a ceramicist and also a sculptor. Like, how do you when when people say what do you, what kind of artist are you? What do you say? I often say I'm a ceramicist and that I also do sculpture in non ceramic materials. I guess you could say my sculpture that isn't ceramics is assemblage, but I don't know if it falls strictly into what you would think of as assemblage always. And sometimes my sculpture looks like it's ceramic and it's not. Yeah, (laughs) that's one of the things I most like about your work. You can't always tell what you're looking at, like what the material is. You'll make things out of clay that look like they might be natural materials, like a sort of geological specimens or something. And then you'll go on hikes and and pick up actual things out of the landscape, like little plastic shards or glass things or bird bones. And then you'll put them into pieces that look really handmade. How do you think about that kind of interplay between natural objects and human-made objects? I love that. I'm very attracted to objects that look like a different thing than they are. And I get to play with that, especially with clay. It's very, it lends itself to that sort of idea. And I like going back and forth with that. It's one of the things that fascinates me about ceramics and sculpture in general. I think I tend to have a a bias toward work like that, that kind of messes with the idea of what the material is or what something should look like. I wonder why sometimes I'm so into that kind of work. And I, I really just like it mm-hmm. as a, a metaphor for um, the idea that like you you could just shift your perspective a little bit and everything changes. Is that where you're going to or are you coming from somewhere else with that? Yeah, that's a, that sounds about right. And that you can't really be sure. And as a metaphor for absolutely everything, um, I think that's pretty helpful. Uh, <laughs> so it, it it's a thing that makes me happy when I can achieve that kind of well, what is that? What is it made of? Yeah, yeah. And you can you can sit there and be kind of like a resolved looking piece, but you can, the audience could be a little bit stumped trying yeah. to figure it out. Or, or think they know and be completely wrong, which is fine. Yeah. Oh, like what's a kind of material where people think they know, but they're wrong? In some of the pieces that are in my show at, at, the, at Oates Park Arts Center, they're made of tar that's spread on wood with 
some of them have metallic powders. And I've had people who are very well experienced in ceramic think they're Reku, which makes me very, very happy. It's like, yeah, I, I could make that out of Reku, but I actually think I had more control this way. That That's one example. Reku is a very quick firing process that often ends you up with like dark or shiny surfaces that you wouldn't see in, in like a normal kiln fire. Right. Or both dark and shiny. I wanted to ask you about those pieces. Like you said, they're they're made of, of a tar, and they do they have this kind of rock or like burnt ceramic look to them. But they're they're tar, and then they have uh, pearls in them and little tiny bird bones organized into pictures that look like constellations. Can you talk about the how that idea came about and how you decided to put those materials and, and those ideas all together? Yeah, it actually came from a different art project that I did with a friend out in the Bonneville Salt Flats. We set up a long 45-foot transparent fence, thinking we were going to catch all kinds of things. And we caught one praying mantis. <laughs> but it, it looked cool out there in the desert. And we were, we were done and were interested in exploring the area and just hiking around and found a, a cache of thousands of those little bones. And being who we are, we picked up a bunch of them. And uh, individually in our studios, we were trying to figure out what to do with them. And this is also a fun thing about sculpture. You get to experiment. And I had a can of Henry's Reefing Tar because I live in the middle of nowhere in Tuscarora and you need these things. And so I I played around with pressing the bones into the tar and it worked very well. And tar is very, very black. So it reminded me of our dark night skies and the bones with the addition of pearls reminded me of the constellations that we see. So I choose constellations based on how I like the drawing of how we conceive of how constellations are drawn up, which often, of course, bears no resemblance to what we think the picture is actually right, called. Right. But uh, the drawing that if you look up Orion, say, it's a simplified version. So I, I started drawing these drawings in, in bones and pressing them into the tar so that way the bones could actually be Im- embedded, kind of. I didn't want them sitting up on top of a surface, so I didn't want to glue them onto something. And the tar, once once the real tackiness left, was very much like clay in a way. You could work with it, press it around, and it got kind of skin-like. So it was it had that tactile quality of clay. So I I worked with it for several years. Okay, so this this middle of nowhere you mentioned. <laughs> you grew up in Los Angeles. You moved to Tuscarora in Elko County. Yes, I did. And now you live in Tuscarora and Reno. Okay, just describe this Tuscarora for people who who, who aren't familiar and, and how it is something of an art hub, even though it is t- 10 people, 12 people? 10 people currently. It became an art hub because Dennis and Julie Park started a pottery school there in 1966. So artists have come through fairly steadily since then, even though... There are only 10 people. In the summer, we may have like 30 people in town. <laughs> but people stop by and are curious because out of our 10 people, at least six of us are artists. That might be higher. So demographic-wise, we're high in the arts. Tuscarora is uh, in a valley that's an old ranching valley. And there are miners and hunters who also 
make up people who come stay in the town. So it's a very odd mix. Yeah. And people ask me sometimes how they can visit and how they can access the artwork in the, the pottery school. We have contact information on our website, TuscaroPottery.com. And I'm actually really the contact. <laughs> My contact information is there on the website. So we, we like people to make appointments because people aren't always there. People have busy lives. So somebody could email you and say, I want to come drop yes. by and you, you could you or somebody else could show them the showroom and the yes. the yard and stuff yes. yeah however in in may this gets easier we'll have a caretaker so um there will be someone on the premises from may to october i believe pretty much all the time but you should still let us know ahead of time just to make sure and if you're going to visit you want to know that it's a bit remote it's extremely remote yeah. there's nothing there but a but the pottery school the post office and some houses. (laughs) This episode of the Double Scoop podcast is brought to you by Podcash, a collaboration between Racket and Stir, two companies that work to support the independent podcasting ecosystem. This spring, Podcash awarded more than $100,000 to podcasters, and Double Scoop was among them. The application process was quick and easy. If you're thinking of getting into podcasting, or if you're already a podcaster, go to podcash.com to stay up to date on future podcast happenings. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-H dot com. And if you're one of the listeners who sent in a love letter about the Double Scoop podcast to the podcast judges back in February and March, you helped us secure this funding and we really appreciate that. Thank you. Here's a word from one of our fellow independent local media producers. Did you know Our Town Reno and The Biggest Little Streets Instagram have a podcast? Yeah, it's part of the overall Our Town Reno Street Reporting Collective. The podcast has interviews of heroes and sheroes of Reno. It looks into our unaffordable housing crisis and efforts to hashtag help each other out. It also has Keep Reno Rad interviews with local artists. Find it wherever you get your podcasts by looking for Our Town Reno. Our Town Reno. So you are in a show, finally, at long last, after many pandemic delays, at the Oats Park Art Center in Fallon, which, let me say again, if you have not seen the Oats Park Art Center in Fallon, worth the drive every time. Beautiful galleries, beautiful concert halls, just, you gotta go there. Okay, so you're in a show there. Helene, give us an overview of your your part of the show. Okay. The title of my show is The End is Near, and this was scheduled for... 2020. So I guess I came up with this title in 2019. And I'm just feeling uh, climate doom. And there's two perspectives going on with this show. One is are the constellation pieces we're talking about. So it's a very removed, cosmic, universal kind of view where it's beyond humans and the things humans do. This is the kind of thing that will last well beyond our stay on this earth. And the other pieces are a series of falling birds. There are also some flying birds, but lots of falling birds. Several years ago, there was a summer where we had a lot of dead birds on the ground in Tuscarora, and it was just very strange. I've heard about very large bird death events. So this wasn't like that, but in Tuscarora, we spent a lot of time walking around outside, and so we noticed these things. Yeah, and it's great how you see these like natural phenomena pop up in your work all the time. Like the the crickets, the the Mormon cricket infestation led to 
thousands to yeah of yeah of like giant creepy beautiful awesome swarms of mormon crickets that go on a wall (laughs) most of my work actually just comes from being fortunate enough to live out there and having this direct access to this kind of world where there aren't that many people so the things you do notice then are weird things in nature and it's endlessly fascinating yeah, yeah. Probably like the thing I, I like most see you roll your eyes about is when people say, oh, you live in the country. Isn't that boring and understimulating? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, well, no. Not at all. <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to say about that show? I think I like kind of derailed you there. That's okay. Should I maybe describe how the birds are? Yeah. So the way I depicted the idea of these dead birds, I use latex to make a mold from wood to get a wood texture uh, that I pressed in the clay. So the birds look like they're made out of sticks. So they're almost kind of complicated stick figure birds. And they're, they're for the most part, wall-hung sculptures. It's almost like the idea of maybe we'll forget how, what birds look like. And all we can come up with is a stick figure for them. Yeah, it's a general sadness, which I think translates into this show. Yeah, yeah. I like the title, The End is Near, and the idea of responding to thinking about climate doom and, and like, impending doom in this way. And it's it's interesting. It seems like a, a version of an idea that you've been working with for a long time. Like, you, you're always talking about entropy in some way or another, mm-hmm. the entropy of, of materials or the, the tendency of things to fall apart. It always sounds so silly, I think, to state it this way, but I just always kind of go to like, yeah, art, art is kind of like religion or kind of like church for a lot of us. I, I don't know. Am I off the mark there? No. I, I mean, not exactly. You don't talk about it that way, but it's when you, you know, you're talking about the sort of big themes like finality and you don't really talk about death, but like finality and entropy and like big picture life stuff. I feel like you talk about them just through objects and through materials. And at the same time, It's like working in the studio is my highest joy. So you're in there and you're working and your themes are just, my themes are what I'm thinking about. So, and I do think about this as I see, I've seen lots of changes just in that particular area in 20 years, which is a very short time. What's it like when you get in that studio groove and like you're happy with your materials and things are going great? Like what's that headspace like? It's lovely. I just feel very fortunate and very happy, and it's a place, it's it's the one place where, you know, you can control the outcomes of things to some degree. You know, it is ceramics we're talking about, so there are disasters, but um, that doesn't bother me, really. It's just what you said when you're talking about um, getting into art as a kid. Like, that's yeah. how you first yeah. felt, like, good about art, was exactly. having that feeling. Yeah, it's it's... Pretty much the same feeling. And I feel like I've done it for so long that I don't have to think, okay, I'll do this, then this, and this. I just can work and my mind can be off on some tangent. And that's very nice. Like my hands are occupied <laughs> and making something. but And I can think about bigger things or other things. And I think all that just gets into my work. So there's something that you've talked about a few times, but you have this other body of work, that the, the separate body of work that's actually beads. So really small sculptural like birds and animals and things that look like your work, but they're really tiny. And you sell them on Etsy and people who make jewelry purchase them. And it, so when you're making like gallery work, 
there there's this very slow turnaround time between like when you're processing your thoughts as an artist and when you get a piece made and then it could be months or years before the the public sees that work and then it takes a really long time for there to be conversations about that and then for them the conversations to get back to you and you to participate and respond and you've told me that when you're making and selling these beads you've got a following you have an audience who likes to buy them so so that whole process of getting the feedback on the work is speeded up that's kind of neat it's really neat and fast because they're so small, but they are, I do think of them as tiny sculptures. I hardly wear jewelry because I'm often in the studio and it would just get wrecked if I did. So I, it's not that I come to this even from a jewelry point of view, but I come to it from a itty bitty sculpture point of view. And so in that way, they're as fun to make as the larger work and you know, more important work, maybe, but it is faster and it's kind of gratifying. And then other people can turn it into jewelry. How does the feedback work? Are people posting comments on Etsy? They post comments, they uh, message me directly. What do they say? Oh, all kinds of things. It makes them very happy, which makes me very happy. Sometimes people say they squeal. <laughs> they open their box and they squeal. <laughs> That's good feedback. <laughs> I know. Put that on your testimonials page. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to talk about, about your work or your, your current show or any any thoughts that are on your mind as an artist? I'm thrilled to be have a show at Oats Park Art Center. And I'll second what Chris said. It is the number one place to show art. It is so great in every way. So it's good for you as an artist, too, to show there. I mean, it's great for us as an audience. It's absolutely great. Why is that? Because of the people who founded it, Kirk Robertson and Valerie Serpa, who... Both are no longer with us, but they established a real welcoming way of dealing with artists where I've never been treated as well as I have at that center. And that, that, that idea is carrying on with the current staff. And it's a beautiful space. They're kind and act like they want you there. That's not always how it goes, but it, it is there and it's fantastic. I, I agree. It's wonderful. Yeah. So there's a good segue into something fun that we have coming up. Saturday, May 14th, there will be a reception at the Oats Park Art Center for Elaine and also for two artists from California, Timothy Berry and Francis McCormick will also have their shows. The reception will be from 5 to 7 and the discussion will be at 5.30. Thanks for coming in. I talk to you every day and it was really fun talking to you on a microphone in a studio too. Yes, it is. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to episode 20 of the Double Scoop podcast. The podcast is recorded at KWNK 97.7 FM Reno's community radio station, where you will hear local playlists and local voices all day long. No algorithms are running this joint, ever. Our theme music is a clip from the song Who Am I by Reno singer-songwriter Greg Gilmore. Our guest today has been Elaine Parks. You can listen to the Double Scoop podcast on KWNK 97.7 FM. You can also listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Wagner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>